When people go to Germany on vacation, they often favor the romantic scenes of fairy tale castles on the Rhine and the charming half timbered villages of Bavaria. And yet, the flatlands of the North were home to major events in history, and a good reason Germany is so dominant in Europe today. Joining us right now to coach us about the distinctions and highlights of Northern Germany is Berlin based Fabian Ruger. Fabian, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Fabian, when you think about Germany, you know, we, we, we know Bavaria is sort of the laid-back, romantic Germany, and we can think of the East and the West from the Cold War. Uh, how do you, as a German, distinguish the North, the South, the East, and the West of Germany? The North and the South can be best distinguished, of course, by that simple division between the Protestant and the Catholic history uh, in the course of the Thirty Years' War, and that's easy to remember. But, of course, it's not very simple line that cuts the country apart. It's sort of a fade-over zone between Catholicism and Protestantism. Catholicism still dominates the South and Protestantism most of the North and former East. And then there's the East-West division, which is, of course, best known in the 20th century with the Berlin Wall and the uh, divided Germany between communism uh, in the East and capitalism in the West. But it's interesting when you think about these fundamental shapers of a, of a region's outlook, you go back to the Thirty Years' War. Now, that was ended in 1648, right? 17th century. Yes. And that gives you the Protestant in the North and the Catholic in the South divide. And even though Germany today isn't famous for going to church, you still have these sort of characteristics. How would you characterize the Protestant North, even if people wouldn't be going to church necessarily? What, how is that different than a Catholic South? First of all, there's all these cultural byproducts that come with these different strands of Christianity. So typical is, for instance, carnival, which you will not find in the Protestant North. Okay, so carnival, carnival is this social safety valve of craziness before Lent, which precedes Easter, <laughs> yes, right? you got to have that let-loose time in order to survive Lent, and that's a big deal in the Catholic world. That's so right. you find it in the South, but not that's the North. Right. The North has now attempts at copying carnival, just because they can have some fun and make some money? Because they want to have some fun too, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Berliners, for instance, who are, of course, very Protestant, claim now that they have one of the largest carnivals in the country. And by numbers of people participating, that might be true. But it's not the same as, say, the carnival in Cologne. Oh, Lutherans cannot party like <laughs> carnival people in Bavaria. I'm sorry, Berlin. <laughs> it's still interesting to watch. And then, uh, but in the north, you've got this Protestant, and is it just a sort of dour, practical Protestant work ethic, or, or how do you differ yes, the north from the south? With it, I think, comes a very laid-back humor that's very tongue-in-cheek and on occasion reminds you even of British humor. Uh, yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with the old seafaring history of northern Germany uh, with the Hanseatic League. That now, that's a good towards. point, because when I think of Germany, I'm like most Americans. We Americans occupied the southern part of Germany after World War II, so, you know, Thousands of Americans lived there after the war. That's where we have our connections. We married into the South and, and so on. And uh, so we don't think of the North, but the North is really much more seafaring. What are the big seafaring cities? And, and tell us about the seafaring heritage of Germany. Hamburg and Bremen come immediately to mind, especially the small city of Lübeck, which is now a World Heritage Site. Lübeck was the center of the Hanseatic League, which, of course, is now forgotten. It officially dissolved in the 19th century, but for 400 years, between the roughly 1200s and 1600s, the Hanseatic League was an alliance of trading cities around the Baltic, which had trading stores as far west as London. Fabian, if I understand this correctly, I mean, you grew up with Hanseatic League lore, and it's, yeah. it's a foreign term to Americans, but we do hear this occasionally. My sense is, if you're a merchant 
and you want to trade, you have to have some sort of free trade zone. It's good for business. And there was a fragmented world in the time of medieval Europe. It was feudalism. Yes. But the big trading cities could get together and have standards for free trade between themselves just so they could have a market and so they could have efficiency. Is that kind of the purpose of the Hanseatic League? The medieval kings couldn't really afford fleets to protect their merchants, so they had to do it themselves. And therefore, suddenly merchant fleets could become powerful political entities as well. And that was the reason why the King of England accepted the Hanseatic League into London. But the Hanseatic League was a group of cities, right? Yes. So it wasn't countries, it was cities, trading cities, that Mm -hmm. were sort of frustrated that there wasn't big countries where they could have free trade zones. Yes. It is, if you will, a precursor of the European Union. And in the North, you see a lot of this Hanseatic League heritage. Lubeck comes to mind, classic statuesque brick buildings, and it just says trade and hardworking medieval prosperity. Beautiful city, by the way. Wonderful to visit. And in architecture, very similar to some of the other cities of the Hanseatic League along the Baltic coast. Riga comes to mind. Yes. Stralsund. Yes. Beautiful. When you think about the North and the South, you talked about uh, sort of a different sense of humor. What other differences are there? I guess you should bring in a Southerner to ask. <laughs> well, you can, there's no Southerner here, so you can say whatever you want. Tell me um, the Northern view uh, of uh, these stereotypes. Um, I think most Germans would probably agree that yeah, Southerners have sort of a deftier um, humor that's more sort of more spot on. And the North is... Um, a little bit more laid back, less direct, tongue-in-cheek, more ironic than the South. In the South, they have a deft ear. What do you mean by that? Um, let me just use the adjective meaty for it, as in meat. Meaty. <laughs> as a, a more a meatier humor. A meatier um, sense of humor. <laughs> more of a sort of bumpkins and bombastic kind of clownish sort of things, whereas I the North so, would be yes. a little more intellectual, a little more subtle, a little more wry. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way to yeah. put it. All right. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about the differences within Germany, and we're joined by a northern German, Fabian Ruger, and uh, there's nobody to defend the South, so we're having a lot of fun here. <laughs> Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Gail's on the phone in Harwood Heights, Illinois. Gail, thanks for your call. Hi. You have a question or a, a sort of a travel dream you want to share with uh, Fabian? Uh, we visited quite a few cities in Germany, but I haven't been to Hamburg yet. Mm-hmm. And I keep seeing the miniature Wunderland <laughs> yes. on YouTube. That looks like it would really be interesting. What is that? Uh, it's like a museum of trains, and they show areas from all over the world. Have you been there, Fabian? No, but I've heard lots about it, the Germans. Especially the hamburgers are very proud of it. (laughs) (laughs) Proud hamburgers. What else do you, Fabian, tell us about Hamburg? It's the second city in Germany, isn't it, after Berlin? Yes, and it's the largest port city in Germany. And very wealthy. Very wealthy because of this, yes. Richest per capita city, leading port, and famous for its nightlife. Famous for the Reeperbahn. I mean, I guess harbor cities bring that along. It's sort of a red light district. So you got the harbor, the red light district, the Amsterdam kind of craziness in Germany. The Beatles... um, they lost their innocence yes, in Hamburg, that's, uh, I think. one way to put it. <laughs> and also a lot of Broadway-style musicals. Yeah. So this is a, a lot going on culturally and nightlife in Hamburg. What is the fun you could have in, in the Reeperbahn that you could tell your friends about? Um, <laughs> you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> well, what do you do as a tourist in the Reeperbahn? Well, you could walk around and take a look at... Um, is it one big was... red light district? Is it just prostitutes? Or is there, there must be more to it than that. No. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of prostitution there and uh, bars 
of that sort. Gail, what other questions do you have about the prostitutes? <laughs> <laughs> None about that, but I know that my grandparents took a ship over to the U.S. from Hamburg, mm-hmm. and I was wondering about doing some genealogical research there. Hamburg is really the jumping-off point for German emigration, I believe. Hamburg and Bremerhaven, yes. And from there, Gail could go out into the countryside. I, everybody knows, you know, the cute towns in the Rhine River and the Romantic Road and mm-hmm. Rotenburg under Tauber. In the north, what are the what are the kings of cute? I think what most people don't or have forgotten is that the very northern part of Germany, which is now called Schleswig-Holstein, used to be a part of Denmark for centuries. And so the summer residence of the Danish kings is a castle at the uh, Plöner See, which is to the northeast of Hamburg, about an hour's drive or so. It's beautiful to see. You can take a nice walk along that beautiful uh, lake on the peninsula. Didn't the, the Brothers Grimm live and work in the north of... Uh, yeah. The Brothers Grimm, yes. Yeah, they, they were in the north of Germany. And there's uh, fairy tale towns up there, Hamlin. Mm-hmm, Hamlin, yes. Famous for um, the Pied Piper. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been there, too. That was wonderful. Yeah. Gorgeous town. All right. Well, Gail, have a good time. Great, thank you. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye. Jared's on the phone from White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Jared, thanks for your call. Hey, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. Now, you're in Minnesota. Are there many uh, Americans of German heritage in Minnesota? Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, you know, people a lot of times think of Minnesota, they think more Norwegians, but um, I think there are actually more German Americans that live in Minnesota than Scandinavian Americans. And I'm actually, I actually grew up in Wisconsin, and there you, oh, I mean, just go to Milwaukee sometime, and you could yeah. throw, I mean, Germans everywhere over there. And, you know, we're all kind of from the same area. We're all from that former Prussia, and you could even narrow it down further to say Pomerania. Mm-hmm. That, and, you know, my whole family, we're very interested in tracing our roots, tracing our family history, maybe even making some kind of connection to the, well, they'll call it the old country, but, I mean, I, I want to connect with it mm-hmm. the way it is today, not the way it was back then. Um, but there's a problem that most people who came from Pomerania find is that as soon as they find some kind of a trail in Pomerania, it dries up immediately. I mean, you may have a town where somebody came from, Mm -hmm. but then you get back there and there's nothing. There's no records. You can't hardly find anything. Um, So I guess I have a two-part question. One, do you know of any place, any way, any tips, any tricks for taking some of that research further in trying to trace your roots and where your family came from um, in that area, and then two, how somebody could, where somebody could go when they're there, if they're traveling, to really connect to the area, connect to the people, find out what's going on there now, and really kind of feel more of a, more of a connection when you go back there as a German-American. Mm-hmm. Um, most of Pomerania is in today's Poland. That's uh, one of the effects of the aftermath of uh, the two world wars. So the understandable reaction of most Poles directly after the war who were actually settled in these mostly German towns in Pomerania was, of course, to make these towns Polish now. Um, Most of these Poles, by the way, were themselves pushed out out of towns in the Ukraine uh, that were given to the Ukraine. So um, it's, it's a complicated move westwards, and some of that has really destroyed the records. So it's difficult in Pomerania in particular, to get at all the heritage records. However, there are some you can find, for instance, in the German Federal Archives. So one way to go at this is, for instance, to look for the German Federal Archives, the Bundesarchiv, as it's called in Berlin, and try to pick up the trace there. Oh, great. 
great. So German Pomerania is now Polish Pomerania. It was victimized by this big, horrible movement of people during and after World War II. That makes it tough to look for your roots. Yeah, and that's, you know, that that's a lot of times the way I find over there. And uh, some of my research has led me to believe at least that Pomerania itself was colonized and taken away from, like you said, you know, the Poles are pushed out to Ukraine. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it can, it's, it's kind of like it's one of those things I can't, I can't really blame the Poles for taking it back so forcefully, yes. <laughs> feeling like they got forced <laughs> out in the first place. Yeah. But at the same time now, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of it. I mean, there are a lot of us who now feel like we have less of a connection to the home country, oh. even though we still feel like we are very as much a German as American, I mean, at least as much as we can be in, you know, 100 or 150 years since mm-hmm. our family had been here. I never thought about that, the loss of a heritage connection that American Germans would have because of this movement of peoples in Pomerania, Poland, Germany, Ukraine, and so on. Jared, thanks for your call. All right, thanks a lot. Yeah. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Fabian Ruger, and Fabian is a Berliner, and we're talking about uh, the north part of Germany and the differences between the north and the rest of Germany. Fabian, we know Germany from the almost clichetic aspects of Bavarian culture. How would the north strike us differently? Do you still have the, the fun in the beer halls? Do you still have the dirndls? Do you still have the big pretzels? Right. Th- these things, you know, that's the south. Um, Northern Germany is flat, think seafaring, think flat country, think lakes, um, think very good bicycling paths. If you're into, into, you know, taking your bicycle, Mm -hmm. you don't have to go a lot of uphill and downhill (laughs) and, uh, you know, lots of agriculture and, uh, yeah, some beautiful small towns and villages. I hear people raving about beaches and islands as a, as a vacation uh, getaway. Talk about the beaches and the islands in the north of Germany. The Baltic Sea, especially, was often called a Berlin's bathtub because Berliners, especially in the 1920s, would have their little you know, house by the sea, their, their weekend mansion, and uh, would go to the Baltic coast. Of course, in the East German communist times, most of the Baltic coast fell into disarray, but now you can go again, and it's wonderful, and they're fantastic. So when you think about the East and the West of Germany... Of course, because of the economic situation, the East fell way behind the West, and now it's been a generation since the wall fell, and there's been a real concerted effort on the part of the West to bolster up, to lift up the East and to buy an infrastructure in the East that's the equal of the West. I think the East, it's fair to say, has, from an infrastructure point of view, it is the equal of the West. How is the economy in the East compared to the West now? Well, it's doing well at the coast, precisely because Berlin wanted its bathtub bag as soon ah, as the, the wall fell. Okay, so the Northeast is doing quite well. The Northeast at the coast is doing fairly well because of you know, tourism. But if you go inland, it's doing not so well, simply because the jobs are mostly still in the West and people go there. So young generations still leave the East. There are some beautiful villages in East Germany that are really lacking inhabitants these days. A challenge for travelers is to somehow connect with local people to get a better understanding of that culture and that society. Fabian, if I was in northern Germany and I wanted to have one afternoon of fun with locals, and let's say I was your guest, what would you do with me? Where would you take me? What would I experience to gain a lifelong memory of traveling in northern Germany? I guess the northern German would take you to the local bar <laughs> and uh, have you try different sorts of schnapps, for instance. Different schnapps? Different schnapps. And what schnapps would you have me try? Um, you know, different Obstbrände. Is that Obstbrände is a, is a, you know, like a Williams peach schnapps. Okay, yeah. 
yeah, those are fairly popular in uh, Lower Saxony and Northern and would Germany. they be they would be regional, proud of one region over another? Oh yeah. Um, in fact, I just spent a week in the summer in a little village, and they had their own. They had their own little uh, schnapps, which they were proud of. It it didn't have the most appealing name, I should say, but what uh, was the it, name? It, it, if I remember, it, it had something to do with uh, horses and um, the byproducts that come with them. Ah, I know, um, the, I know the schnapps <laughs> well. <laughs> but it, um, besides the entertaining name, it was actually tasty. You know, Fabian, talking with you, it's a little bit like uh, the difference between talking to a Bavarian and a and a person from northern Germany. You're a little more thoughtful. You're a little less bombastic, <laughs> but you still want to take me out to a nice meal at the very end, okay? Where would we go, and uh, what would we drink? We would go to a great fish restaurant where we'd have both North Sea fish and Baltic Sea fish. Yeah, and what kind of vegetables would come with it? Um, asparagus in the summer. White asparagus? White asparagus in the summer. See, that's a big deal in Germany. Oh, very big, especially in the north. It grows there. Okay, um, so they... we're eating local. <laughs> yes. And what would we drink? We would finish off with a coffee and a great schnapps. What kind of schnapps? A fruit schnapps, an Obstbrand, um, from pear or peach. And would I sniff it and sip it? You would sniff it and then quickly throw it down. Throw it down? Mm-hmm. So you can have another one before it hits you. All right. And then how would you finish? Give me a toast to finish off our discussion. You would say, Prost. That's that's the shortest finish of a discussion I've ever heard, but I guess that fits with Northern Germany. Prost. Thank you very much, Fabian. Thank you. I guess I should say Dankeschön. Dankeschön. Each year, Rick Steves tour guides take free-spirited travelers on escorted tours all over Europe, one small group at a time. This year, we're featuring tours of Germany, Austria and Switzerland, Berlin, Prague and Vienna, and the heart of Belgium and Holland. For a free catalog and Rick's Tour Experience DVD, visit the tour pages at ricksteves.com.